0: Good morning, folks. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. Great to have you with us. My name's Steve. I'm one of the leaders here, and this is my first week back um, preaching from having a holiday. So we had a really restful time. So what tends to happen with any preacher the week before he goes on holiday, he throws as much as he can down, and then when he comes back, he throws as much as he can down because there's been this gap. So so do not worry. I will not be thrown as much as I have that God has taught me over the last four or five weeks now. We've got a lifetime for that. Amen? Amen? Amen. Folks, every year at this time of year in September, we as Cornerstone Church go through what we call our core values, who we are as a church, and we've done that every single year for the last, I think this is the 14th occasion, that we're going to be going through the core values that shape who we are as Cornerstone Church. And when we do this, I'm always asked the question, always asked the question, why do we do this? Especially if you've been here for a couple of years, it's like, oh, okay, we're doing that again. We're doing, oh, yeah, gospel centered, more, we get it, we understand. And the reason why we do is that my, my answer is often threefold. First one is this because we as people are quick to forget. We're quick to forget. And that's not just here, that's true for all people. And it's true for all people down all generations the temptation to be distracted by the cares of the world causes us to forget who we are before God individually and also collectively as a church and as people who are part of this local expression of the Church of Jesus Christ here that's the first one we are people who are quick to forget the second one is that we have a church that has a bit of a transient population a transient congregation so every year round about May, June, we see a number of people move on. June, July, they move on. They move to different parts of the country, different parts of the world. And then towards the end of August, into September and October, we see an influx of people all coming to the promised land to find abundance in Liverpool. Those people who are Christians are visiting different churches, but also people who are new to the area and people who just want to find new churches. So it's important for us to... Inform you who we are as a church. We have so many Assumptions so many perceptions So that's one reason why we do it and the final reason and I think this is probably the most pressing and in some way the most important We need to be as clear as possible In our communicating what we believe What we believe what we value and what we live in light of and to show that our values th- flow from the authority of the Bible the authority of God's Word the authority of his King the Lord Jesus Christ so the reason why we do this is because we forget the reason why we do this is because people come and go And the reason why we do this is because more than ever I think we need to be clear regarding what we believe and how that shapes we live so on our website and on the wall outside, as you, as you, uh, in the foyer area, as you walk through, you will see these three phrases, that we are gospel-centered. That basically means that we focus on Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he promises. And that defines who we are and what we are to do for God. So we're gospel-centered. The other one is we are marked by grace. So to be marked by grace means to see the grace of God that we have enjoyed being worked out in the everyday lives of all the people who attend this church. That actually the way that we live is obviously different to the world that we find ourselves in. That actually the way that we live obviously points to something or someone outside of themselves We are marked by the grace of God that we have received. And we'll see that in the relationships with each other. We'll see that in how we engage in the community. And the final one is this, that we are on mission. See, to be on mission is to see the calling as individual believers and as the local church and as the global church to enter into the great commission of Jesus who said this, go and make disciples of me. And then to engage in God's activities and God's purposes for this world till his son retains, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the values of Cornerstone Church are this. We are gospel-centered. We are marked by grace. And we are on mission. And over the next three weeks, we're going to spend some time trying to unpack what each of those are so that we can have a further understanding, understand this church, and understand what it is to live as God's people here in Liverpool. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be reading a few verses. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, well-known verses that you'll find in the book of Acts. The book of Acts was a recording of the life and the acts and the events of the apostles of Jesus Christ, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ that flowed from the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're all recorded for us by uh, by the name of a man called Luke, who was a doctor who enjoyed details. We're getting lots of detail in what we read through the book of Acts. Now, folks, usually we have verses. We're going to have the verses that I'm going to be reading up, but usually we have verses on the screen. To anything that I may be to re- referring to. But so we're not going we to have that today for a number of different reasons. But a lot of the verses I'm going to be referring to are in chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. If you haven't got a Bible, there should be one in front of you. If there isn't a Bible in front of you, raise your hands and somebody will give you one. And if you don't know where to go, you don't know where to turn, just put your hand up. Somebody will send you there in the right place. Okay, Acts chapter 2. Let's read this. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we ask that the meditation of our hearts and the words of my mouth will be acceptable in your sight. Speak to us, we pray. For your glory's sake. Amen. What does it mean to be the church? Ask, ask yourself that question: What does it mean to be the church? Now, if you're struggling to answer that question, maybe try and think through: What are the things that you would be looking for in a church if you were looking for a new one to attend? Maybe that's you this morning. What are the things? What are what's on the checklist? What are the deal breakers? Is it the music style? Is it the quality of the kids' work? Or maybe not the quality, the amount of kids that are in the kids' work. Is it the number of teenagers? Is it the quality of the coffee that's served? The quality of the cakes? Is it the size of the congregation, whether it's big or whether it's small? Is it the quality of the seat, whether it's a comfy chair or a really uncomfortable pew? Is it the length of the sermons? I want a long hour sermon. I can't cope with more than 30 seconds because I'm distracted. What is the checklist? I just want my kids to like it. Now, folks, those things are things that can be part of making the decision to whether or not you attend the church. They can be. But they're not the most important. They're not the most important. See, 13 years ago, when we replanted Ramleys Road Chapel, it was a little chapel building on Ramleys Road just off Penny Lane, we were in a situation where the church was going to close. It was going to close. So the desperate nature of that situation forced us to ask the question, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean? What does it mean to live as God's people? When everything is stripped away, when, when all the stuff is gone, What do we place as high priority? What are we left with? What is at the center? What do we value? Now this passage that we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks is is like the first summary statement of of what the church looked like in the New Testament. It's a summary statement of of what it occurs. And what Luke is describing is the functioning of a group of people who love Jesus without their own building. Without a staff team, without policies and procedures, without formal structures, without charity numbers, without gift aid payments, all things which are good and proper, and we need those things to function as the church in this day and age. But if all of that, folks, was stripped away, what would Luke's summary statement of Cornerstone Church be? Would it be this one? See, at this point of giving this summary statement, the Lord Jesus had lived. He died. He rose again. And he he descended to be with his father. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it tells us that Jesus, before he ascends to be with his father, says to his disciples and those who are closely following him, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem where you are in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the Bible tells us there in Acts 2, right in front of us, that on the day of Pentecost, folks, which was the second of an annual harvest festival, which happened 50 days after the Passover, the Holy Spirit of God descended on the 120 disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came upon them just as Jesus said he would. And the Bible describes that there were like flames of fire above their heads, and it filled them and filled the room. And then suddenly, all these disciples who were from Galilee, all these disciples began speaking the mighty works of God in languages that weren't their own. And there were people in Jerusalem, people, the Bible says, from every nation who were in Jerusalem were hearing the mighty works of God being proclaimed by these people who did not know their language. See, people can believe what they were seeing. People couldn't believe what they were hearing. They were amazed. The people who were speaking were Galileans, but they were speaking in our language, the people said. There were people from Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, and they were hearing the mighty works of God in their own language. And in the midst of that, there were two responses. One response where people asked the question, what does this mean what does this mean and another response verse 13 of chapter 2 where people mocked <laughs> these people must be blotted they must be filled with new wine they must be drunk surely See, and what you read through chapter 2 is that the apostle Peter stands, and from verses 14 to 21, he declares to all the people that these people, these disciples, these followers of Jesus who were speaking the mighty works of God in a language that you can understand, I'm telling you, he says, they are not drunk. And what you are witnessing is actually something that had been prophesied by the prophet Joel many years before that one day the Spirit of God would come and descend upon people for the building up of the church and prophecies would be given. And the salvation that would come from the message that would be proclaimed wasn't just for those who were Jews. It was for all nations, all people chapter 2 verse 21 it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved saved and then Peter preaches about Jesus he says look what you are witnessing is what the Old Testament has said and then he preaches about Jesus Verses 22, right through to verse 41 of chapter 3. And he proclaims who Jesus is. And on that day, 3,000 people repent of their sin, receive forgiveness, and were baptized. Folks, on that day, the church of Jesus Christ went from 120 people to 3,000 people. Imagine the assimilation headache that was. Imagine trying to get 3,000 people into a gospel community. Imagine. Imagine when they all got together and said, who's new here? And everybody put their hands up. When Paul says, come and see us later if you want more information, he would have been inundated. Folks, 120 people to 3,000 people in light of one sermon. So what would have been on the website of this church? What would have been the values on the wall? What would have been the things that you would have seen as these people, 3,000 of them who had just received the good news of Jesus, repented, had forgiveness of sin, had been baptized, and now part of the church. What are the values that would have been seen there? Well, the first thing that Luke tells us, if you look there at verse 42 that we read, is that they devoted themselves. They were a devoted people. The original language, the Greek, the original language of the word devoted means they associated closely. It means they kept close. It means they never disowned and they never deserted. So the first thing we read about this people, this first summary statement of the Church of Jesus Christ was one this. They were a devoted people, they never neglected, they never ran. And they associated themselves closely. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Number one, they devoted themselves to gospel word. Gospel word. See, he says here they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is, folks, shorthand for the word of God. This would have been the things that Jesus had taught his disciples. Remember, when Jesus ascends, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. And it would have been all what they have, they've known and understood regarding the Old Testament, the law, and how it all points, all the promises pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ and that he was the fulfillment of them. Folks, this church, right at the beginning, devoted themselves to the gospel. They never disowned, they never deserted what the apostles taught them. And even if what they were hearing was difficult, even if what they were hearing was uncomfortable, and even if what they were hearing was not in line with the cultural narrative, they devoted themselves to it. They never deserted it. They never ran away. And they associated themselves closely to it. Now, this gospel word, let's look very quickly. What is it that Peter's preaching? He's preaching about Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 22, he talks about the life of Jesus. Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. See, he begins with the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking to people, many of whom would have seen Jesus, many of whom would have had firsthand the miracles and the wonders. Many of would have known people who had seen and engaged in them. He presents to them the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, a man attested to them by God. You saw the works. You saw what he did. The Lord Jesus lived a life that none of them could live. He, lives a, he lived a life that none of us could live. A perfect life with no sin. In complete communion and in tune with his Father and the Holy Spirit. Peter begins with the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, the gospel message is about the life of Christ. Jesus was only able to die and be a substitute for us. is because he fulfilled the law in all its fullness. A man who had never sinned. Peter preaches the life of Jesus and then he preaches the death of Jesus. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the divine plan and knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He says, This Jesus who had done no wrong, you delivered up to die. But that was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. See, Peter's telling them, folks, I'm telling you this morning that the death of Jesus. Despite it being a surprise to them, and despite even, it maybe even being a surprise to you, it was never a surprise to God. It was plan A, plan A, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, and he sent his only son in order to take the place of sinful people who deserve to die, but steps in as one who does not deserve to die, to die for people like you and people like me, amen? He preaches the life and he preaches the death And even though, folks, the death was in accordance with the sovereign will of God, it was not plan B. It was plan A. It was God's intention to show his grace and his mercy. Peter here is clear, he's direct, and he gives a very uncomfortable statement. Verse 23 he says, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You killed him, you delivered him up and you got other people to do it. You rejected him, and you killed him. Folks, that is an uncomfortable statement. See, the sin that we have committed, the rejection of God that we have committed was poured upon him. The Bible says that he became it. He died because of our sin. He died because of our rejection of the Father. Yes, they physically shouted crucify. Yes, some of them physically betrayed him. Yes, some of them physically killed him, but it was our sin that put him there. Peter preaches his life, is death, and he preaches, verse 24, his resurrection. But this Jesus, he says, did not remain dead. He did not remain in the grave, but God raised him from the dead because death could not hold him. One, because he was perfect, and one, because he had done what was required to pay for the sins of broken, busted up people like you and me. The grave could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. Amen. See, folks, at the root of the gospel message, the root of that which is central is the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no gospel. There is no good news outside of that. It is not the good news of gender. It is not the good news of sexuality. It is not the good news of family. It is not the good news of fulfillment or abundance or provision. It is the good news of Jesus Christ of which all those other things roll from. That's what it is. So a Cornerstone Church, we will be a people who will proclaim the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Peter does here as well in his sermon, what he wonderfully does, he also highlights for them their own hero, King David. He says, look, King David said in his Psalm 16, you will not keep your anointed one in hell. He will not see corruption. And he turns to the people and says, David was not talking about himself because I can take you to David's tomb, and he's there. But the tomb of Jesus is empty. He's not there. Even your hero, King David, spoke of the Lord Jesus as the anointed one of God, he who would not remain in the grave. And verse 36, God has made this Lord Jesus the Lord of all. Folks, this was a gospel message that was direct uncomfortable but it was full of good news full of good news because despite their rejection the call was for them to repent to turn back to the God who they had rejected to pay, to turn back to the God who had displayed his love for them through the sacrifice of his own son and folks you read here verse 37 it was that gospel message that cut them to the heart See, the good news is you deserve to die, but Jesus has died instead of you. And in dying for you, the Father lovingly forgives you. And there is no sin that you can imagine that is stronger than his love. And all the blessings that come from being right with God are there for you if you run to him in and through Jesus. And then this life is not the end. That the eternal life of Christ is something that the Bible says is bestowed upon us, imputed to us, that we also will enjoy an eternal life. Folks, a few days ago, the most famous woman in the world closed her eyes on this life and opened her life, seeing the beauty of her Savior, Jesus Christ. The queen is dead. But our sister in Christ, Elizabeth, will live forever. Because of the good news of the gospel. And even a good woman like the queen needed to be right with God. Because of her sin and her rejection. Folks, the gospel is central to who we are. And not also interesting in verse 40, what does Peter do? He then turned around to them and he also says with other words... Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. See, brothers and sisters, as we read through the New Testament, we see that the Apostle Paul brought the gospel. The Apostle Paul, who's the the instrument that God used to take the good news to those who were not Jews, you can read on in the Bible and read about him. He wrote 25% of the New Testament. He wrote lots and lots of things that we hold to in light of the truth of the gospel, but he said this, the most important thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I don't want to know anything else amongst you apart from this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, the most important thing that I could bring to you is the good news of Jesus Christ. And he said this, that true salvation is only found through the power of that message that Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. That's where salvation is. And folks, here at Cornerstone Church, we are devoted to the gospel word. We're devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are devoted, we are devoted to the whole counsel of scripture. And it is central to who we are and everything we do flows from it and it shapes it. We are gospel-centered. Folks, the gospel is not just something you respond to and then you figure it out. The gospel is the central point who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and it flows from the goodness of God's word to help us figure out what it means to live for him today. As you read through the book of Ephesians, it tells us that we as the church are built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. That's why we're called Cornerstone. That's why we're called Cornerstone. People used to think that we were called Cornerstone because our building used to be on the corner of the street. They did, genuinely. 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 See, they're called Cornerstone because Cornerstone is Jesus. Who we are. He's the most important stone. When they built this building, they started with the Cornerstone. Everything flows from that. Everything flows from him. And all that is torn from the word of God flows to and from the gospel. So we as Christian people make sense of the culture that we live in through the gospel. Even if it is uncomfortable. Even if it is not in step with this cultural narrative. Why? Because devoted people associate themselves closely. They never desert. And they never run. And because of the cultural pressure, folks, to abandon the truth of the gospel... And to step from under the authority of God's word, it is so important that we do not lose sight of the truth of the gospel. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, we must pay close attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away. Lest we drift away. We've just spent four weeks in America. And uh, when you go to America and you hire a car, we all know that they drive on the wrong side of the road and the wheel's on the wrong side of the car. Amen? It is. It is. So when you jump in, I'm like, 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 I've been driving for a long, long time, and I'm like, I'm like a new driver. When you, you're like a new driver, you make sure, where, where are we going? You know what I mean? And you, you're moving the wheel like this. I haven't moved the wheel like that for about 25 years. You know, I'm cool like this, I do it like this, but you're like this, why? Because you want to get it right. And you, Suddenly the vehicle is enormous because there's all this space on your right-hand side. You know what was really interesting? I got it quite quickly, but when I came home, I was exactly the same, Move to the right, driving on the left, oh my word, I have to to pay close attention to what I know and what I heard unless I drift away. Because what happens then, if I drift, turn into a corner the wrong way, I'm gone. And not only am I gone, potentially everybody that's in the car with me is gone. Folks, in this time of cultural pressure to abandon the truth, we have to pay close attention to what we have heard lest we drift away this is so important for us in this generation of confusion so important for us in this generation of angst so important in this generation where there's a pressure to conform and folks as much as we think we're experiencing something that is unique you only have to look through history and see that God's people have always been under pressure to move away from the authority of Scripture and conform to the cultural narrative. Peter here, verse 40, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Folks, any generation that makes sense of life outside of the authority of God and his word is crooked. It is crooked. Any generation. Because the goals and the visions and the purpose is moving away from God, not to him. And if he is the creator of all and he's given us his word and we believe and we're saying we're devoted to it, to step outside of that, to try and make sense of life outside of that is, as the writer to the Eccle- uh, of Ecclesiastes said, it is foolishness. It's like a mist. It's like trying to chase the steam from a kettle. You just can't catch it. And you struggle to make sense of it. Folks, I've done many, many funerals and what is on the face of many, many people is I can't make sense of this. I can't make sense of this. Why? Because they're trying to make sense of it outside of the authority of God and the goodness of God who loves us. See, trying to make sense of this world outside of the authority of God is like watching a movie in 3D without the glasses on. You see some things, you can sort of make it out, but it doesn't make sense. When we were on holiday, we went to Universal Studios, and in Universal Studios, we went through the, the studios where they record all the loads of the old films. Loads, loads of the, there's loads, I can't remember them. Anyway, but part of that journey, you're in this like truck, and then you, you go into this bit, and they do like a three, it's like a 4D thing. It's like the screens either side. And they tell you, put your, put your glasses on, put your glasses on. So you have to put, you know, where it's green and green, and you know, we used to watch Jaws when we were in the 80s. It was like, oh, Jaws would come out the telly. You wear these green, green, green and red glasses because you needed the lenses in order to, to make sense. Because if you don't have your lenses on, it just looks blurry and flat, and you can see some things that are going on, but you just don't get the clarity, and you can't really understand. And I always do it. I don't know about you, I always do it. If I'm watching 3D, I always take the glasses off. Always have a little pee. I was like, what what is it behind it? And then I put them back and go, wow, this is clear. But you know what's really interesting as well? As much as I wore the glasses and I could see what was happening all around us and I was getting the fullness of it, I I also didn't understand. I also at moments didn't understand. When the clarity came, I'm like, how do they do that? How is that happening? Why is that happening? See, folks, part of being devoted to the word of God and gospel, gospel word, part of it is also trusting the one who gives it. That yes, as we view culture through the lens of the word, it brings a clarity and an understanding and an ability to make sense in light of God's intention. But there is still an element of, I see, but I don't understand. I had to trust in Universal Studios, the guys who'd made it. I don't understand, but it's working. I don't understand, but there's peace. I don't understand, but there's joy. I don't understand, but the way that they function and the way that they live doesn't make sense to me, but there's something there. Why? It's because they're making sense of the culture they find themselves in, in and through the clarity of God's word. Folks, at Cornerstone Church, we are gospel-centered. We are devoted to the gospel word, and it is the lens by which we make sense of the world. It's the lens and the guide by which we navigate under God, the culture that we are in, whatever the circumstances, whatever the consequences. So I would ask you, if you are a member of Cornerstone Church, I would ask you, if you are a visitor of Cornerstone Church, I would ask you, even if you don't stay and it's your first week, pray that we don't drift away from the gospel. Because as soon as we do, we're gone were gospel-centered. They were devoted to gospel word. Number two, they were devoted to gospel community. See, after these people from all different places who spoke different languages all became Christians in response to the overflow from the devotion of the teachings of the apostles, they devoted themselves, verse 42, to fellowship. They associated closely, they didn't neglect, they didn't desert fellowship. Now the original word is koinonia, koinonia, and that means deep communion with one another. See this fellowship that Luke is talking about wasn't like, like a bit of a conversation after church with a cup of tea and a bourbon biscuits. it wasn't that. You know, we call that fellowship, we're having a wonderful fellowship. No, we're having a cup of tea and a biscuit with somebody probably we don't know that well. See, what are you saying here? These 3,000 people devoted themselves. Now, next week we'll see what that looked like and what they were actually doing. You read that they were selling things and, selling and giving the proceeds one to another. They didn't even know each other, but they devoted themselves to each other. See, it has this sense of communion, partnership, participation. See, and it all flowed from an understanding of verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. They devoted themselves because they recognized that the promise wasn't just for them as an individual. The promise wasn't just for them as Jews. The promise was for all the people, all the people who heard in all the languages, all the people who from all different places. So they devoted themselves because each partook in the grace of God. Now, folks, here, there are three things I just want to roll out. What does it mean? What does it mean for us as as God's people here at Cornerstone to be devoted to gospel community? Folks, we're not going to lead with meeting on a Wednesday night with food. (laughs) You know what I mean? The amount of people who say to us, our gospel community, that's just like small groups. That's just like growth groups. That's just like Bible studies. No, it's not. If we totally get it, it's not. See, to be devoted to fellowship, to be devoted to community means that we recognize that we have a unity one with another that we have not created. That actually we've got a unity one with another that we cannot destroy. That we have a unity one with another that has been created and remains because of Christ. See, Psalm 133 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. The word dwell means live. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live in the unity that has been purchased for them by Christ. And when they do that, God commands the blessing. God commands the blessing. Folks, I'm uni- if you're a Christian, I'm united to you, and you're united to me. And you're united to the person who's on the other side of the room that you never speak to because you always walk through that door and sit over there. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But you are as united to them as you are to them, as you are to him, in and through Christ. And our job as God's people in our devotion is, are we devoted and are we gonna fight to dwell in that unity? Are we gonna live in that unity? Are we gonna allow the unity of who we are in Christ to be the thing that sustains us and, 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 and enables us to function and love each other and to support each other as we seek to live under the authority of God's word? unity the flows from christ that we have are we dwelling in it unity is not about this we have unity because we've decided to spend this amount of money on the building that is unity but that's not what we're talking about so glad that we were united on that even if we weren't united on that i'm so glad that we are united because of christ amen amen unity do we dwell in it the other one is diversity They devoted themselves to diversity. The early church was made up of people from every nation under heaven, chapter 2, verse 5. And people who spoke different languages, verse 6. And that diversity was a picture of gospel future. Revelation 7, John, he looked, and a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Amen? Folks, diversity. Diversity. To be devoted to fellowship, to uh, koinonia, to be devoted as God's people through the word of God, we understand that the gospel is for all people. The good news for all people, whatever their circumstances, wherever they are. Now, God invites us in as we are, but he refuses to leave us that way. He wants us to make us more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this diversity isn't one that is an invitation in to just live as you please outside of the Word of God. No, this is the diversity that comes in and says, this good news is for you. And folks, the reality is this. We have to. We have to fight prejudice and racism and and all sorts of issues as we in ourselves look at other people and think better of ourselves in light of others, even those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. That is right out of the pit of hell. The devotion that the church showed to each other was an embracing, an embracing of tribes, tongues, nations, an embracing of colors, class. There are people who are loving the stuff that's going on at the moment watching the situation with what happens with the with the monarch and what does he do and all that and then there are those like what's this it's the Tories which is totally ignorant anyway even Christians are thinking like that folks we position ourselves that we are more important than others and what we deserve is the judgment of God, but we have been given the grace. And as I look at you, those who know Christ, that's what you have. Those who don't know Christ, that's what I want to beckon you into knowing. The early church was made up of people. See, fellowship is diversity. And three, humility. Verse 43, and all came down on every soul. The word all means fear. A fear of God that comes from a right understanding of who we are before him. See, to be devoted to each other is to recognize that we are united, that there is beauty and diversity, and actually there is a humility that we deserve the punishment of God, not what we've been given. And as we look out at each other, we can't say that we are better than you. We are the body of Christ, and the, the hand can't say that he's better than the foot. The foot can't say that he's better than the hand. There is a devotion to fellowship that is marked by unity, diversity, and humility, cornerstone. To be gospel-centered is to be devoted to the word of God, but, to, but it also means to be devoted to what the gospel creates, which is gospel community. Gospel community. Jesus has broken down all the barriers between us and him, and he breaks down the barriers between others and other, us and other people. We're all partakers of the same grace of God, We all deserve his punishment. But God in Christ has made us brothers and sisters because we are united to him. So this means that the attitude, they are not my kind of people, has no place in this church. No place. I have heard people who are in this room say that. Folks, that is sinful and not right. And that is not what it is to be gospel community. Can't have them in my house because they're not like me. They're everything like you. They deserve the punishment of God. But now they're a brother or a sister because of Christ. We are to fight to dwell in the unity that Christ has died for. We are to celebrate the diversity of the church. Why? Because it's a taste of heaven. Amen. And we need to recognize that we are part of the body of Christ. What that looks like, we'll look at more next week. <laughs> the details of that. But this church, and I pray this, our church, devotes ourselves to gospel word, the gospel community, and as I close, devoted to gospel worship. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Folks, worship is the response of our whole being, heart, soul, and mind, and strength, to beholding God's glory. That's what worship is. Worship is the response of our whole being, all that we are, to beholding God's glory in all of life. It's enabled by the Holy Spirit. It's directed by the gospel, or by the Bible, and it's fixated on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what worship is. And the early church was devoted to worship, devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayers. See, two things in here, what we see is they, they had a gospel, their gospel worship was about vision. See, the breaking of bread, now it has two meanings. The first one would be that they ate together, all of life together with God's people. Folks, what we've got to recognize is when we sit down for a meal with God's people and we eat, even when we just eat with our families, when we eat and when we drink, it is an act of worship. What we eat and what we drink is given to us by God. Folks, worship doesn't begin at the point where somebody gets a Bible out. Worship doesn't begin at the point where somebody strikes a G chord. You know what I mean? Or turns the pads on and the Holy Spirit comes in because of the ooh in the background. Everyone's like, what's going on? That's meant to bring atmosphere, if you don't know what that is. No, no, no. Worship is all of what we got. And when we sit at a table, it is a picture of heaven. The wedding supper of the Lamb. Whether we're having tacos, whether we're having cheese on toast, and we sit across the table with brothers and sisters in Christ, it's worship. It's worship. As we enjoy the provision of God. And, folks, you know why it displays what a wonderful picture of worship? It's because to give up your table for people who are not like you in terms of how the world views is something beautiful. Amen? It's beautiful. To prepare a meal and to have people sitting all around it that you don't know. But you're connected to because of Christ. Or well, actually people who are completely vehemently against you. But you invite them in and sit at your table. It is a picture of worship. We do not deserve to sit at the, p- at the table of Christ. But we do. But the other mean is that they actually broke bread and share communion breaking bread and wine see they sat around the table as a devotion to had a gospel vision and we eat bread and drink wine in remembrance of Jesus till he returns. it gives us gospel vision folks communion is not just about what Jesus did it's about what Jesus is doing and what Jesus will do see worship is not just about what Jesus has done for me what Jesus is doing for me worship is about what Jesus is gonna do for me see I worship rolling into the future knowing that Jesus has this why because he's promised that he's gonna come and return and the symbols that I have is broken bread and, 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 and and wine to remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed for me so that I could be part of a new creation where there is no pain and there is no sorrow and as I eat I have a vision these people were devoted Devoted to worship and that worship had a gospel vision. It had gospel vision. That worship had an understanding about provision. They devoted themselves to prayer. Folks, prayer is the declaration of dependence on God. That's what it is. It's a proclamation of love and it's a privileged position of communion with God. That's what prayer is, folks. It's dependence on him. It's a proclamation of him. And it's a privileged position that we have to have communion with him. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ shows us our need for God. And he lovingly invites us to commune with him. And his loving father wants to provide for us and wants the best for us and says, come, ask me, speak to me, engage with me. See, they were devoted, knowing that God would provide. Their worship was about provision. Folks, as we mature as Christians, we do realize that we need him more. Amen? We do. We realize that we need him more. We will never grow up out of prayer. And when we come to him in prayer, we proclaim his glory. And in doing so, we behold his glory. And we worship. See, their worship was about provision, but their worship also was about presence. Folks, we need the presence of God. We need the presence of God. We need His hand to guide we need him to protect, we need him to rebuke, we need him to challenge, we need him to heal, we need him to comfort, we need him to strengthen, we need him to enable, we need him to help us understand, we need him to bring wonder, we need him to convict, and we need him to save. We need the presence of God. And the church here was devoted to seeing and knowing God's presence, not in a manufactured way, but in a life-changing power that only the presence of God can bring. Through bringing people from darkness into life, from death to life, from restoring marriages, from bringing healings, from speaking words of comfort, bringing visions. Gospel-centered people want to see God's presence. Amen. It's just me. Amen. Amen? We want to see the presence of God move in this generation. We want to see the presence of God move. We want to see Jesus Christ come in all his glory and make all things new and answer all the questions. We want the stability of a king of kings in the midst of this unstable, vulnerable situation that the whole world find themselves in. Folks, gospel-centered people ache for the presence of God. And these people were about his presence. Because it's only the presence of God and the work of the gospel in and through the spirit that will save people. Your families, your neighbors, your work colleagues, the community. only his presence, not great music, but a long sermon, the presence of God who uses these dysfunctional things for his wonder and his glory. Clonestone Church, we are a church that is gospel-centered, so therefore we are devoted to gospel word, gospel community, and gospel worship. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. And we thank you and we praise you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. And we praise and we thank you that as your word is opened, as bread is broken, as wine and juice is drank, as prayers are given, as community is understood and felt and experienced, we thank you, and in all of that you are glorified. We thank you in the midst of all that, you are present amongst your people. And Lord, as we break bread and as we share communion now, make us tangibly aware of your presence. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. And change us, we ask. And Father, I pray for those who are amongst us who may not know you, who have not been cut to the heart. I ask that your spirit would do a work in light of the word of God and save people. That's what we pray. And this generation that we find ourselves in, God, we ask that you would help us to be the city on a hill, to be the light that Jesus says that we are, to love all people, to reach out to all people, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to them. And then from that, walk committed and devoted, associating closely and never deserting you, the truth, and each other. Help us, we pray, for your glory's sake. Amen. Amen.